This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 35, What is Conscience? This is another term we throw around a lot without much understanding of what it is, even among religious people, even among Christians. Conscience today is seen as the get-out-of-jail-free card, if you will, that as long as someone follows their conscience, then whatever they do is defensible. Appealing to conscience is supposed to be an argument winner, a discussion stopper. If you dare to say that Even though someone was following their conscience, what they did was wrong. You're considered backward, intolerant, and rigid. Now, of course, conscience is important, and we are bound morally to follow our well-formed conscience. But what we'll see is that, first, people don't really understand what conscience is, and even if they do have some idea of what conscience is, they don't recognize that it's fallible, that it's able to be wrong. To most people, the authority of conscience lies in the fact that it is mine. That because this conscience is my conscience, then what I'm doing is right, because it is mine, my personal standard of right and wrong. So here you see kind of the same error that we talked about yesterday with the problems with religious experience, exalting one's individual interior experience over objective fact, objective reality outside of us. So let's define what conscience is. Most people think that it's some permanent power, some permanent faculty that we're born with, just like our will, just like our mind. But it's actually not a faculty at all. It's an action. Conscience is an action of our mind. It's a judgment of our mind. It's a practical judgment of our mind. So what does all of that mean? It means that your conscience is not just sitting in there waiting to evaluate things. It's not God speaking directly to you. It is a judgment that your intellect makes. But your intellect makes all kinds of judgments. Your intellect makes judgments about the truth of a statement, about the conclusion of a mathematical equation. Those are judgments of your intellect as well, but of course that's not what conscience is. The judgment of your conscience is a moral judgment. But you can make moral judgments about other people's actions too. You can look at a character in a movie, a character in a play, or someone that you see on the street, you can judge their actions in a moral sense, say, should they have done this, should they have done that. That's a moral judgment, but that's still not what conscience is. Conscience is a judgment of your intellect. More specifically than that, it's a moral judgment of your intellect. And more specifically than that, it is a practical moral judgment of your intellect. That is, it's a judgment made in a particular situation regarding a particular action that you are about to accomplish or that you have just accomplished. Right? Your conscience can inform you on whether or not you ought to do this, whether it's good or evil. And after the fact, your conscience also is a judgment of your intellect, should I have done that? And often will bring a kind of censure or shame if what you've done is judged to be evil or a kind of internal sense of praise if what you've done is morally laudable. Now, already you can see that conscience isn't infallible because there are many people that do things that we would consider evil but their conscience doesn't bother them at least not in the way that ours would bother us or does not judge the situation the same way that ours would judge now can we say that because of that that therefore the same action can be either good or evil based on who is doing it 
No, we've already gone over the existence of objective morality, so if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and do that. We're taking for granted what we've already shown to be true, that morality is objective in the sense that it doesn't depend on someone's subjective judgment about it. Murder is wrong, even if a particular person doesn't think it is wrong. So already we see that it's very clear that certain people don't think things that are objectively wrong are in fact objectively wrong, so that means their conscience is in error. And that should make sense to us, even though people nowadays would would be shocked at the idea, at the claim that a conscience can be wrong. That even if you think you're doing something good, you actually might be doing something objectively evil. Even though people think that, given the definition of the conscience that we just gave, that it's a judgment of the intellect, of course it means that our conscience can be wrong. Our intellectual judgments can be wrong all the time. I can be wrong about the truth or falsity about a particular statement. I can be wrong about a particular mathematical equation because my intellect is not well formed. In the very same way, I can make a faulty judgment about the moral goodness or evil of a particular action if my intellect is not well formed, morally speaking. So if I lack the proper principles of morality, then my conscience is not going to be a helpful guide. In fact, it is going to lead me into error. Sure, if through no fault of my own, my conscience is mistaken, I might be less responsible or less blameworthy or less culpable for an evil action that I do, but that action still is evil, objectively speaking, whether or not I think it is and whether or not I'm responsible entirely for that evil. That's a principle that most people don't want to hold today, that if someone isn't blameworthy, then the evil wasn't evil. No, evil is objective. If someone has some kind of psychotic episode and murders someone else, sure they might not be culpable, but the murder is still evil. So your conscience is a judgment of your reason, of your intellect, on whether or not an action is objectively good or evil or neutral. We can do certain things where our conscience doesn't weigh in on something's goodness or evil because it is a morally neutral action. But when it comes to the proper action of the intellect, it is a judgment on objective good and evil, not whether or not this is good for me or evil for me, but good, objectively speaking or evil, objectively speaking. So again, because it's a judgment of our reason, it can be mistaken just like other judgments of our reason if we're not properly formed. Now, there's a certain basic content that our conscience uses to judge the morality of our actions in a rudimentary way because we, as I mentioned in a previous episode, have the natural moral law in us by nature. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to that as well. But just by the fact of having our human nature, there are certain basic things that we are that we know, even aside from divine revelation or catechesis or moral instruction, we know that there are certain things that are good or evil. But that's a very vague thing, and we can easily cloud that by evil conduct. We can dull our conscience so much that, practically speaking, doesn't really come into play when we make judgments. That's why we need further moral instruction, further moral formation. We need to inform our intellect with certain principles so that it can properly make judgments. If not, then our conscience is gonna allow us to stray into error and evil. Just like if I'm trying to solve a math equation, but I have not been given any mathematical formation or education, the chances that I'm going to come to the proper conclusion are very low. So even though I have the basic tenets 
of the natural law in me by nature. I still need them reinforced. In fact, that's why God revealed the Ten Commandments. If you recall in the episode on natural law, we said natural law is basically what's in the Ten Commandments. And even though they're in us by nature, God still saw fit to reveal them to us in a supernatural manner because it's very easy to allow those principles to be clouded because of our sin. So God revealed these Ten Commandments to us because we needed them reaffirmed and kind of drilled into us. So that's, that shows the need for a real intentional moral formation in order for our consciences to work properly. We rely on the affirmation and inculcation of these basic moral principles by our parents, by our community, by our schools growing up in order that our consciences be well formed and we can function in society and not be total sociopaths. Regarding other moral obligations, some of them we don't have by nature. For example, the higher commands of Christian revelation, the higher moral commands and moral perfections that Christ taught us. Think of what's contained in the Beatitudes, for example, or loving and praying for your enemy. These are things that we need to be taught, otherwise we would have no idea that these things are necessary in order to be morally good. They require supernatural instruction and grace. So there's various ways in which we need to inform our conscience and form our conscience for it to be able to judge accurately, judge properly in the moral sphere. In fact, the necessity of moral formation, forming our conscience, is itself a moral obligation. Because if we think, hey, if, as long as I don't learn moral principles, then I won't be culpable. Yes, I might do things that are evil, but I won't be morally culpable for them. That's not how it works. We know that we have an obligation to seek the truth, to learn what is good and, what, and avoid what is evil. And if we choose not to do that intentionally, then we are still culpable for the evil that results. In order to not be culpable, we need to have what's called invincible ignorance, an ignorance that I really can't overcome by my own power. For example, if I grow up in a secluded community and I'm formed to think that certain things which are good are actually evil and vice versa, and I act according to that, and I have nothing at my disposal to learn anything other than this, that I am so secluded and restricted that I can't inform my conscience and overcome my ignorance, then yes, we, we would be free from culpability. But that's such a, a, a limited, narrow, and incredibly unlikely situation, if not non-existent, that it's not really worth considering. Everyone has an obligation, given what's at their disposal, given their ability, to seek the truth, to overcome any doubt, any uncertainty about moral good and evil. And for young people, this obligation, this grave obligation falls on their parents so that they might properly form their children so that they don't have ignorance of the principles of the moral law and the principles of right action and virtue. It's not simply the obligation of parents and schools and communities to teach the young right information. It's just as, if not more important, that they teach them right conduct. So given all of this, where did this widespread emphasis on one's individual conscience as the supreme law come from? Well, first of all, I think it comes from larger societal and cultural trends towards individualism and moral relativism, that is the idea that there's no such thing as objective moral good and evil. But also, people tend to look even at the teaching of the church as an affirmation of this idea that one's conscience, whether or not it's well-formed or not, is the supreme moral law. 
Well, let's look at what the Catechism actually says about the conscience. The first thing the Catechism says, and I would say, frankly, that not a well-chosen first line, quotes Gaudium et Spes, a document from the Second Vatican Council that says, quote, Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice, ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. End quote. So Gaudium et Spes decides to wax poetic when clarity would be better. Uh, it makes it sound, especially the second half of that, that it's man's most secret core in his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Makes it sound like your conscience is basically the voice of God, almost in a prophetic way, that you are receiving direct inspiration from God. And so what your conscience tells you is actually something from God directly. It's certainly reasonable to interpret it that way from the way it's put here. And unfortunately, most people don't read past that first line because the Catechism does fill out this idea of what the conscience is and how important it is to form it. Unfortunately, it's not until seven paragraphs later that the Catechism gets to the formation of conscience. Quote, Conscience must be informed and moral judgment enlightened. A well-formed conscience is upright and truthful. It formulates its judgments according to reason in conformity with the true good willed by the wisdom of the Creator. The education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. The education of the conscience is a lifelong task. From the earliest years, it awakens the child to the knowledge and practice of the interior law recognized by conscience. Prudent education teaches virtue. It prevents or cures fear, selfishness and pride, resentment arising from guilt, and feelings of complacency, born of human weakness and faults. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of heart. So obviously this is in line with what we're saying, that it's our duty to inform our conscience, that it's not just our ideas that guide our conscience. It has to be informed by objective principles, the teachings of the church, and the clear principles of the natural moral law. The excerpt I just read mentions guilt, and I'll end with this, uh, these thoughts on guilt. People tend to say jokingly, oh, you know, Catholic guilt, and they kind of downplay guilt or say that guilt is bad and that if we're burdened by guilt, then we should try and liberate ourselves from that because guilt is oppressive. That's not true. Guilt is actually an indication of the health of our moral formation. Just like pain is unpleasant, but it helps us understand when something is wrong with us, guilt pricks our heart to indicate to us that there's something that needs to be corrected, something that should have been avoided and ought to be avoided in the future. If you were presented with the ability to live your life without the sensation of physical pain, it might sound good at first, but you also would probably die pretty quickly because you would be unaware of a severe injury that you've sustained, unaware that you have a cut that's making you bleed out, stuff like that. Pain is a good thing even though it's unpleasant. It helps us correct whatever injury we might have or whatever, whatever illness we might have so that we might be healthy and happy again. Guilt is the same thing. Shame is the same thing. They are deterrents to committing moral evil or prompts to get us to rectify or heal some moral sickness or illness we might have.
To read more about this, I'd just encourage you to go to the Catechism and continue to read the whole section on conscience. It's in part three of the Catechism in the first section and the first chapter, The Dignity of the Human Person. And also, a good rule of thumb is if you find an old moral manual or an old catechism written in the 50s or earlier, that book will treat even more in-depth and more in detail the definition and issues related to conscience. And a really good way to continue to form your conscience is to often do an examination of conscience, to find a good thorough examination of conscience, which often is modeled on the Ten Commandments and the sins related to each of the commandments, because reading those things helps you understand even the smallest uh, evils and imperfections that we can fall into. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please become a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. Really trying to increase my subscribers there, so please spread the word. God bless.